Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am L.J. LaFiera, and this is a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon has the night off tonight, so unfortunately, for those of you who are listening, you will be stuck with my voice for the better part of the next hour, if I can stretch this, we will go as long as we can get you guys the most content possible here. So let's go ahead and jump into the main headline of the day, which I think is what the heck happened here in LA? We got the Rangers and the Dodgers to start this one off and scoring started in the top of the third off of Trevor Bauer with an Adoles Garcia double, and then on a rather bizarre play, they're able to score once again to make this a 2-0 game early, and then Jonah Heim sends a two-run homer in the fourth to make this a 4-0 Texas lead. After Bauer left the game, we get a solo, I'm sorry, RBI triple (laughs) from Willie Calhoun, and then an RBI single from Adolis Garcia pushes this to a 6-0 lead. Bottom of the seventh, A.J. Pollock gets the Dodgers on the board with his fifth home run of the year, and that will be their only run on the board today during this 6-1 ball game. Nate Lau and Jason Martin 
homer in addition to a flurry of other offensive production late in this game to push this to a 12-1 Rangers win in which they out hit this monster Dodgers lineup 17-6. to I mean, you know, you're not going to step out here and light the world on fire every day, but this is not a showing that you'd ever expect from one of the best teams in the league against one of the worst lineups in the league in the Texas Rangers. But Colby Allard's going to get the win here, going five innings, allowing five hits, no earned runs, and four strikeouts. Again, another one of those surprising spots here. We talk a lot about Kyle Gibson. How about Colby Allard now with a 2.91 ERA for this Texas team? Of course, he's only two and two. Of course, with the current workings of this team, you've got a handful of guys who can really hit with any consistency on this squad. So run support isn't always the most likely thing with this Texas team. But anyway, the loss will go to Trevor Bauer, his fifth on the year. He went six and a third, allowing four earned runs and eight strikeouts with nine hits. This was not a good day at all for the top of the NL Cy Young race, which might be a good thing for DeGrom as he struggles with this tendonitis. Um, you had Trevor Bauer, and then in the next one of the next games, we're going to talk about Kevin Gosman having a bit of a rough time. But this this is a blow that you don't really need to have or want to have if you're Trevor Bauer at this point in the season. You know, you can tank that. You really can't tank that at any point, but you feel a little more comfortable with that earlier in the season when you didn't know that there were going to be so many guys having great, great years. you got the two guys in Milwaukee who both have a really great shot at this. You have my number two for this race in Kevin Gosman, regardless of what happens today, right up there ahead of him to begin with. And then you have, of course, Jacob deGrom putting together possibly the best pitched season I'll ever see. So he had a very, very stiff competition in this National League to begin with. And it's only gotten worse. Like it's only get, it gets worse if you end up having rough outings, continuing to accumulate these losses. Now five on the year, that's way more than anyone else of that caliber. But let's move into that second one I was talking about here. The Nationals and the Giants played a doubleheader today. And scoring starts right from the get-go for the Nationals in the bottom of the first as Kyle Schwarber sends a ball to deep right center. This one will be gone for his 10th home run of the year and a leadoff homer against Kevin Gosman, probably the second best pitcher in the National League right now. And then a Josh Harrison double drove in Juan Soto to make this a 2-0 lead and a 2-0 game. Give the win to Eric Fetty. He went five innings of shutout ball with seven strikeouts. The loss will go to Kevin Gosman, as I mentioned, his first loss on the year. He went. He's now 7-1 on the year with this four-inning, three-hit, two-earned, four-strikeout game. This moves his ERA only to a 1.43. So he's very much still in this, I would still say, second, my second favorite for that award. 
And as for, oddly enough, I was, I'm genuinely shocked still to see this now that I know the statistic, to see it happen with the double headers and how many of them get split. Spoiler, of course, for this game, as scoring doesn't start until we get into extras of this double header with the Manfred runner. Uh, Lamont Wade has an RBI single in the top of the eighth, and then Wilmer Flores drives in Wade later in that inning to make this a 2-0 San Francisco ball game in the eighth. Starling Castro is able to have an RBI double, but that's all they can muster as the Nationals fall and allow this doubleheader to be split with the Giants 2-1. Give the win to Jake McGee out of the bullpen. This was after Menez got the start for San Francisco going two innings, pretty much a standard bullpen game for them. The loss will go to Finnegan for the Nationals after Rodriguez took the first four innings, allowing one hit of shutout ball with two strikeouts for them. These two teams now stand at 40 and 24 for the Giants and 26 and 35 for an underperforming Nationals team. But let's talk about the New York Yankees. Dropping another one here in a series that everyone was like, if they're going to turn this around, they're going to have to do it here, get pick up, start picking up these wins here in Philly. But things did not start out well for their number two pitcher, and looks like he's going to be their number two pitcher for quite a while now. Jamison Tyone gets the start here and allows uh, four earned runs right off the get-go in the bottom of the first. These scored on a Bryce Harper single, an Andrew McCutcheon sack fly, which very nearly went yard to right center field. Uh, certainly, you know, game of inches, game of feet. And if it was just the wind was blowing slightly better, this is a much less competitive ball game. And then later that inning, Alec Bohm hits a single to make this a 4-0 Phillies ball game. Top of the second. Gary Sanchez sends a solo homer and Brett Gardner hits his second triple of the year to cut the deficit to 4-2. But then came another Phillies run here in the fourth and fifth as they rally up to get as much as 7-2 is their lead now coming out of the fifth inning. But in the sixth, Rufnet Odor hits his sixth home run of the year. Top of the eighth, Gary Sanchez drives in another run. And then with Two runners on. DJ LeMahieu sends his fourth home run of the season out to left center. It was a pretty good shot, and it scores both Gardner and Wade, as well as himself, to tie this game up and send us to extras. In the top of the 10th, the Yankees are unable to get the Manfred runner home, and this sets up a Gene Segura single in the bottom of the 10th to walk it off for the Phillies here a score of eight to seven give the win to Archie Bradley out of the Philadelphia bullpen Vince Velazquez got the start going five innings allowing two earned runs and five strikeouts the loss will go again to Araldis Chapman who this time a little better went a third of an inning allowing one hit and one run however this is now back-to-back outings for Araldis Chapman, which 
have been losses, ended in losses. The first, of course, being that disastrous blown save in Minnesota. And now this one, he comes in during the 10th with the game tied and allows the Manfred runner to score. And all of a sudden, you look at it now, the Yankees are now 33 and 31. So two games above 500 with a zero run differential on the board. This is not where they wanted to be at this point. And it doesn't feel like this could have been a turning, but this series could could and could have been a turning point. But then you have this bombshell with Jamison Tyone going a third of an inning, allowing five hits and four earned runs. This is a guy who you traded for knowing he had the injury history, not being 100% certain of how good he'd be. There was certainly a scenario where he was the 5.74 ERA pitcher that you're looking at right now. However, that was certainly not the one you were hoping for. Either way, you weren't long-term considering this guy to be anything more than your fourth starter in this rotation. You have Garrett Cole, of course, at the top. You've got uh, Corey Kluber, who you brought in this offseason, who now, with the way his arm and shoulder is looking, there is really no good timetable from what I've heard for his return. And then you have the unfortunate incident that I do not know any update on past the original report today of your former ace, Luis Severino, who has been injured and battling through all of that for the last couple seasons now. He had to leave his rehab start today with some sort of lower body injury. So that could put him out even longer than you were thinking when they were starting to consider a possible late June, early July return for him to this rotation. This could be a lot longer till you see him. So now you have to take Jamison Tyone seriously as the number two starter, him and, and uh, Domingo Herman. I, 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 don't, I don't see how that is the formula for turning things around. But let's move into this Kansas City-Oakland game, a game that, of course, went very well for the front runner here. Mitch Moreland hits a sack fly in the bottom of the first to score the first run. They get three, or I'm sorry, four more between the bottom of the second and bottom of the fifth to move up, of course, to a 5-0 game. This includes doubles by Matt Chapman and Matt Olson that all drive in runs. And then in the bottom of the sixth, Matt Chapman hits his sixth home run of the year. This one, a solo piece to right center, making this a 6-0 ball game. Kansas City tried what they could. They gave Kelvin Gutierrez home run in the top of the eighth to make this a 6-2 ball game. But the A's managed to tack on five more runs in the bottom of the eighth to win this one 11-2. Give the win to James Caprillion. He went six innings, allowing no earned runs and seven strikeouts. His ERA is now at 2.51. The loss will go to Cower. He went one and a third in this one, going allowing four earned runs and only striking out one batter for the A's, who are now 30, or the Royals, who are now 30 and 33. The A's, if I'm correct, are now two games out of first place in 
the American League with 39 wins compared to Tampa's 41. Let's get now let's get into this Arizona Los Angeles game. You know, it's one you expect the Angels to take care of business in. And it didn't really look so good to start. Bottom of the third scoring opens with five runs in this inning from the Arizona Diamondbacks, including RBI hits by Eduardo Escobar, Christian Walker, David Peralta, and Nick Ahmed to make this a five nothing ball game right from the get-go. But then in the top of the fourth, you get a Tony Rendon solo piece, his fourth of the year, and then Phil Gosselin drives in another run to make this a little closer of a game here in the fourth. They're now trailing 5-2 before a Tony Rendon two-run double in the fifth inning makes this a one-run game. Josh Rojas homers his eighth on the year in the top of the bottom of the seventh, excuse me, to extend the lead slightly, but this would not stop an onslaught in the eighth and ninth by the Angels as Keen Wong, Tony Rendon, Jose Iglesias, and Taylor Ward all drive in runs to help us get to an 8-7 Angels win. Give the win to Alex Claudio out of the bullpen. This is after Alex Cobb went three innings, allowing seven hits, five earned runs, and three strikeouts. The loss will go to Joaquin Soria of the Arizona Diamondbacks, who allowed three earned runs in his inning of work. This is all after Carson Caleb, I'm sorry, Caleb Smith went four and a third, allowing four earned runs and six strikeouts to start this game off. You know, this isn't all right. I'm not sure if I can say this isn't as pathetic because this has been a terrible, terrible slide. Arizona's now one in nine in their last 10. It's it's getting very much up there in terms of past 10. The 15 isn't looking good. The 21 isn't certainly looking good either. They the only positive you can get get out of this for Arizona is the fact that you played the game at home. So this cannot extend your 19 game losing streak on the road. But what what a collapse for Arizona, who went from just mediocre for the first six weeks of this season to easily the worst team in the league right now. Let's shoot on over to Cincinnati to see this matchup, which pits the big red contraption against the Colorado Rockies. And scoring starts for the Reds in the bottom of the first with RBIs by Nick Castellanos and Eugenio Suarez. However, this is short-lived as Colorado scores three in the top of the second, including a double by Elias Diaz, which scored two, or I'm sorry, one, and made it a 3-2 ball game. From there in the bottom of the third, Joey Votto drives in a run. Bottom of five, Tucker Barnhart and Kyle Farmer both managed to get runs in, and it just got uglier and uglier from there as it ends up being a 10-3 game for the Cincinnati Reds, who managed to out-hit the Rockies 14-7 in this one. Give the win to Wade Miley 
he went seven innings, allowing two earned runs and three strikeouts. Again, he, he, he continues to amaze me because, like, as soon as he left a big market, not only did he significantly improve, however, everybody forgot about him. Like, no one, no one stopped to care about Wade Miley as of late until now, and he has really turned himself into quite the pitcher here in Cincinnati. I'm all here for it with this 292 ERA currently. The loss will go to Herman Marquez, who went five innings, allowing 12 hits, eight earned runs, nine, nine total, and five strikeouts. Moving into this Mets Padres game here, which pit Joe Musgrove up against Marcus Stroman, and the Mets got going early. Francisco Lindor hit his sixth home run of the year in the bottom of the first, driving in two runs. And then a Dom Smith um, force out is able to bring in one more in the bottom of the sixth to give the Mets just about everything that they could possibly need as the only run that the the Padres are able to get comes off of a second deck home run to left field by Fernando Tatis Jr., absolute nuke there there in New York. But Jonathan VR is able to also cancel that out in the bottom of the eighth with a home run of his own as the Mets crew is to win this one four to one. Give the win to Marcus Stroman. He went six and a third, allowing one earned run and eight strikeouts. The loss will go to Joe Musgrove, who went six and a third, allowing three earned runs and seven strikeouts. You know, this is a game that I heard a lot, a lot of people talking about and being all over San Diego for. Not not necessarily a an indictment on Marcus Stroman as much as an amount of trust in Joe Musgrove, but props to Marcus Stroman for really, again, reminding us of how good he is. This is a guy with a 2-3-3 ERA. I'm not sure what that is, ERA plus wise, but certainly a great pitcher in his own right. That's a 161 ERA plus, absolutely excellent. And Joe Musgrove, again, has been a great, great pitcher this year, but just finds himself in these unfortunate places. Of course, has this no hitter, but still sits at a four four and six record with a 2.50 ERA. You know, some of these, this is the point where you're just going to, some of these guys really should be getting frustrated because you go out there and give them quality start and then some. And can't get more than one run in support of you. Actually, I don't believe that run was on the board when he was even in the game. So not a great effort by San Diego here in a opportunity where they really could have used it because I still don't think that this New York team is a hundred percent there and the Dodger or I'm sorry, the Padres don't have any room to be screwing around at this point. I mean, this is, the most competitive division in baseball, and they are now sitting four games out of first place in June. Again, it's not a huge number. Those games can be dropped easily, but you've got two very good teams 
in front of you with the Giants and Dodgers. You can't afford to just keep dropping games in winnable series. But looking ahead, of course, you got one more Joey Lucia Casey versus Chris Paddock here with the Mets. And then you've got three against Colorado, four against Cincinnati before you have to play the Dodgers again. So there's certainly a runway for some momentum here in the next couple series if you can take hold of it. Let's talk about this Seattle-Cleveland game where we've got the Indians, of course, one of the leaders in this AL Central right behind the White Sox taking on the 31 and 35 Seattle Mariners. And Seattle starts this game off looking pretty good. They score four unanswered through the top of the seventh, including a Dylan Moore and Jake Fraley home runs. The Jake Fraley one was a two-run shot to right, while Dylan Moore's went to left center, and he was the only one there. But from there in the bottom of the eighth, Cesar Hernandez hits his 10th home run of the year to make this 4-1. And then in the bottom of the ninth, Bobby Bradley is able to single and drive in a run. And then Rene Rivera's double ties the game at four. This sends us into extra innings where Cleveland is able to hold the Mariners off from a run in the top of the inning so that they can drive in the only runner that they need and win five to four in the 10th. Give the win to James Karinchak. He came in for that last inning in extras with the runner on second base. Props to him again for those. Anytime you can lock a team up in those extra innings with that extra guy, that guy right there, you have to go for it. I mean, you have to love it when you can see that. I'm sorry. That's what I'm meant to say there is you have to love that because if you can have a guy dominate the mound and not not give up not just hits but like grounders into the right spots could absolutely destroy your team bring that run in and then all of a sudden you're look you're playing to tie rather than playing to win there that's a huge advantage to being able to have a guy like Karen Shack who can go out there and strike out two of the three batters he faced and make it so much easier on the offense. The loss will go to Seawald for Seattle. Yusei Kikuchi got the start for them. He went seven innings, allowing three hits, no earned runs, and six strikeouts. Tristan McKenzie was the opener here with two-thirds of an inning, allowing one earned, walked four batters to start this game. Next, we've got Baltimore and Tampa. I think we can all assume pretty well how this game went as Tampa is still on an absolute tear and the Orioles are still the Orioles. Uh, this game, Tampa got three runs to go in in the bottom of the first, including RBIs from Joey Wendell, Manny Margot, and Kevin Kiermeyer. They added to this lead in the bottom of the fourth with a Brandon Lau double, which scored one run. Baltimore tried their best to get back into this when Austin wins, hit a grand slam to left field. Everybody rounds the bases and makes this a one-run game, but nothing could get across after that fifth inning, and Tampa brings this one home 5-4. to four. Give the win to 
Colin McHugh out of the bullpen. He went two innings of no earned runs and five strikeouts. Rich Hill got this start. He went four and two thirds along four earned runs and five strikeouts. Diego Castillo gets the save, his 11th on the year. Next up, we got the Toronto-Boston game. In this one, Toronto got out to a pretty solid early lead as Vladdy Guerrero hits his 20th home run of the season. At this point, I'm not really sure what you can do to stop this man other than not pitch to him, which is not a great strategy for a guy who isn't even 25 yet. If you're already having to completely pitch around him, then good luck for the rest of his career. Home runs became an even bigger part of this game in the top of the fifth when Kevin Biggio, Marcus Simeon, and Bo Bichette all went yard to make this a 6-0 ball game. The Red Sox drove, got runs off the bats of Christian Vasquez and a Rafael Devers triple, but a Reese McGuire home run in the top of the ninth made a comeback completely unlikely as Toronto wins this one seven to two. Give the win to Steven Matz. He went five and two thirds of an inning, allowing one earned run and eight strikeouts. He's now seven and three on the year. The loss goes to Nick Pavetta, who went five innings, allowing six earned runs and six strikeouts. Really the only like blow up, blow up start, bad start that Red Sox fans have seen out of the guy. So that doesn't concern me all that much. You know, things can only go up from the way that last inning went for him. But this is really exactly what I said on the Pesky Report the other day. Go check them out over on any of the streaming platforms that you get your podcasts. They do episodes on the Boston Red Sox after every single series breaking it down, breaking down league news as well. And it's a great ensemble cast that really loves the Red Sox. But anyway, as I was saying, I was on the other day talking about this last series. And I said, the one that really concerns me here was this Saturday night game against Steven Matz, because this is a guy who went on an absolute tear in May to keep Toronto above water when all of their pitching was struggling. All their pitching really is still struggling with the exception of him and Robbie Ray at times. I mean, Hinjin Ryu isn't even doing what you expect from Hinjin Ryu right now. So I said, look, he's having a fantastic season. He faltered a little bit over the last couple weeks, but he looks like he could catch fire again. So this would be the matchup that I would be really worried about if I were the Red Sox because he could just give them nightmares and he did again one earned run off of him eight strikeouts in almost six innings you can't complain with that if you're Toronto but this next game is really going to be the make or break for momentum here for the Red if you're the Red Sox okay it looks like we've got about five more games that a couple of them are pretty well blowouts, so we're not going to have to go too far into them. One of these such blowouts is this Chicago-Detroit game, which went as a Chicago-Detroit game would expect. Top of the first, Brian Goodwin doubles and a Yerman Mercedes single make this 
a 3-0 ball game to start in favor of the White Sox. In the bottom of the first, Harold Castro drives in two on his first home run of the season. However, that would not stop Chicago from getting the next uh, 12 runs of this game. He does not include a single home run. So, I mean, you know, this is just great contact. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian Goodwin. Again, after he hit that double here, that was his first double of the year. Now he gets his first home run on this season in the top of the second. So this is an all-around quality team win for Chicago as they blow out the Tigers 15-2. Give the win to Dylan Cease, who's now 5-2 and two on the year. He went five innings, allowing two earned runs and seven strikeouts. The loss will go to Jose Urania for Detroit. He went one and two-thirds, allowing seven earned and one strikeout. You know, I mean, I, 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 with that being said, I still think Detroit's got themselves into a decent spot. I think you've got a number of guys on this team that you wouldn't mind seeing around for a little while. You know, their lineup has a lot to be desired still. I, I will say that. However, you've got guys like Akil Badu who are doing things that you never would have expected them to be doing on the major league level right now. Uh, guys like Robbie Grossman are still solid. Jonathan Scope and Haas have been great for them this year. So these are guys that can at least stay around, around in the in, interim. But as you have these guys like Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal, who are putting themselves into the limelight and starting to have these really good starts and prove that they're going to have a great pitching staff going forward, especially as they get guys like Matt Manning into the fold in the next couple seasons, they're going to look great. But this lineup's going to need significant improvement between now and then for them to be taken seriously. Let's get into this Braves-Marlins game here in Miami. Scoring starts in the bottom of the first with a Jesus Aguilar sack fly. And then in the bottom of the fourth, Adam Duvall hits his 12th home run of the year to make this a 2-0 ball game. Later in the fifth, Luis Diaz hits his first home run to make this a 3-0 ball game. And then Atlanta tries to get back in this in the top of the eighth with a two-run blast by Freddie Freeman. But... At the end of the day, two runs isn't going to cut it when you've already got three on the board, and Jesus Aguilar adds another to make this a 4-2 Marlins win. Give the win to Thompson for Miami, who goes five innings of shutout ball with six strikeouts. The loss will go to Max Fried, who goes six innings, allowing three earned runs and strikes out four batters. But I'd like to take a look at Adam Duvall here, who is – starting to put up Joey Gallo stat lines here. Never never was nearly like this before, to my knowledge, but he's got 12 home runs this year. Again, no one's really on the same zip code as Vladdy right now, so you can't take it seriously um, in terms of distance from the leader. But 12 home runs is a very good clip right now, especially when you're hitting 205 on the season right now like he is. I mean, you that's some awesome power if you're only hitting the getting on base 
uh, 20% of the time to be able to have hit um, 12 home runs so far is tremendous. So this is a guy who should be on some team's radar. If you're desperate for a corner outfielder, if you're desperate for some power in your lineup and need an affordable option, if Starlin Marte is out of your price range, if Cattell Marte is out of your price range, I would look to him before I looked to a guy like Delino DeShields or someone like that. So certainly keep an eye out for him in the free agent market coming down soon. Next up, we've got Pittsburgh and Milwaukee. The Brewers are the home team here. However, they find themselves down 4 nothing early to the Pirates. Finished off, that run finished off by Kaya Tom triple, his first triple of the year, which brought in one run. From there, Corbin Burns drives in the first run of the game for Milwaukee. And then in the next inning, Omar Narvaez scores Christian Yelich to make this a 4-2 game. And then all of a sudden, you've got a big, big time run here for Milwaukee in the bottom of the fourth. Christian Yelich drives in three runs with a double to left field. Willie Adamas hits a ground rule double to add in some more. And then Omar Narvaez hits an RBI single to make this a 7-4 game, which is your final. Give the win to Richards here for Milwaukee, who went two innings in relief of Corbin Burns with four strikeouts. Corbin Burns only went four innings in this game, allowing eight hits, two earned runs, and eight strikeouts. The loss will go to Chad Cool, who went three and a third, allowing five earned runs and striking out two batters. And the save goes to Josh Hader, his 16th of the year, but no strikeouts for him in this game. With that being said, he is at a 0.70 ERA right now. Our second to last game, our penultimate game of the night, will be the Cubs and the Cardinals. The Cardinals got scoring going in the top of the second with a Nolan Arenado home run, his 12th of the year. Of course, I'll take Nolan Arenado with a normal batting average over Adam Duvall with that pile of garbage 205 any day. However, also still just makes it even more, more impressive. This is Nolan Arenado, a guy who does hit for power with a 286 batting average. And you have as many home runs as him with a 205. But in the bottom of the second, things got going for the Cubs. Ian Happ homers in addition to a flurry of walks, singles, and hit-by-pitches to make this a 5-1 Chicago lead. Paul DeYoung hits a solo home run in the third, but that's all that St. Louis could do as Sergio Alcantara and Jock Peterson both go yard later on in this game to help the Cubs win this one 7-2. Give the win to Kyle Hendricks. He went six innings, allowing two earned runs with two strikeouts. The loss will go to John Gant, who went one and a third, allowing five earned runs, five walks in this matchup. And the save will go to Craig Kimbrell, who only had to go a third of an inning. That one out got him his 17th save 
of the season. And then for our final game here, we've got the kind of hot Minnesota Twins taking on the Houston Astros. And the Twins get on the Astros early here in the bottom of the fourth. Miguel Sano hits an RBI double. And then the fifth sees a double by Ben Rortvet. And Jorge Polanco goes yard to make this a 4 nothing Minnesota game. In the top of the seventh, Kyle Tucker goes yard. And Robel Garcia goes yard for Houston to make this a 4-2 game. But in the bottom of the seventh, Jorge Polanco's RBI drives in one more to make this a 5-2 win for the Minnesota Twins. Give the win to Jose Barrios, who went seven innings long, two earned runs, and eight strikeouts. The loss will go to Lourdes Garcia, who went four and a third, allowing three earned runs and four strikeouts for the Astros. Taylor Rogers gets the save, his sixth of the year. That about wraps up all of our game recapping and discussion for the day. So let's go ahead and look through some of our leaderboards for today. I will pick some something interesting. I'm not sure yet. How about, oh, this might be interesting. Let's look at the win percentage added leaders. So of course this seems, the that stat seems a little self-explanatory. It will be, of course, how much, how much to your team's win percentage do, have you added or gained based on your play on the field. And surprise, surprise, Shohei Otani leads this one with 2.86% added to his team. The top man in the National League is Jesse Winker of the Cincinnati Reds. You know, that's not surprising to see. This guy is a bona fide stud so far this season, certainly an all-star. And then coming in right behind him in third is Vlad Guerrero. And then fourth will be our second National Leaguer with Brandon Crawford, who has been a huge, his resurgence has been a huge bright spot for this San Francisco team that's now gotten to 40 wins already this season. Brandon Crawford has been criminally under discussed when it comes to the secret success of this team, because as great as the defense and pitching can be, you need this offense to be putting up runs if you're going to have any hope of being a legitimate team. And they have. And the majority of that gets pinned on the fact that Buster Posey's having another Buster Posey-esque season. Not enough people are talking about the fact that Brandon Crawford has been just as solid and returned just as much, if not more, than Buster Posey is to the top of his game. Again, we're talking about him among the top 10 players in the league right now in terms of their contributions to their team. So definitely do not, under any circumstances, discount what Brandon Crawford is doing out there. He is playing like a madman. It does not look like I'm going to be able to stretch this out into a full hour. However, I do have one more thing I kind of wanted to discuss a little bit off the cuff because I was thinking about it earlier. Of course, Brandon got me back on the game out of the park baseball. If you have not played it, please check it out. You can get it just about anywhere you would do PC gaming, laptop gaming, all of that. 
it is the most accurate and certainly best baseball simulator that there is out there. You can take over any team from any era, any level of the league, and play through as their GM, as their manager, maybe even just watch the league get resimmed from any random year. It's a complete sandbox, which you can do whatever you want. But it got me thinking when I jumped back in, who on earth would I be wanting to take over for? And that's a very real question if you were a potential general manager candidate in Major League Baseball. Out of all of these teams, you've got 30 teams here. What are the best situations to be stepping into right now if you were a potential general manager? This isn't something we've talked about too much on this scale, but I was trying to really think about what are the easiest jobs right now to step into and be successful. I think I've um, pinpointed a couple that are pretty clear in my opinion, and none of them are coming from the National League. This, this National League right now is a little too stacked, and it's stacked with good players on teams that are broken. Like, they don't have all of their pieces solved, and some of them don't 100% know where and what they need to do to go fill this in. So you're at a point where you're like, what gives? Like, there's no, there's no clear, obvious, like, I need to go just do this, this, and this, and there's no way to easily fix it right now. And a lot of these teams don't have a direction like the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't think that they have a clear enough direction for me to choose them out of the 30 teams to pick and to start with them and go on. However, with that said, there are two very clear candidates here in the American League, and those are the Toronto Blue Jays and the Chicago White Sox, because they are absolutely balling right now, and that's without a large part of what will make them special later on. As far as the Toronto Blue Jays here, you have a ridiculous infield core here with an MVP candidate in Vladimir Guerrero leading the whole group. You've got Boba Shett and Kevin Biggio who will be consistent major leaguers. They will be in the league for a long time and you can at least solidify those positions for a long time coming at shortstop and third base. And then you think about everything you have there right now as far as pitching prospects. That's the real knock on this team right now is that their pitching hasn't been good. But you've got guys like Alec Manoa, who has been, I think the best words to describe him is youthful because he's looked good, really good at times, but yet can get a little knocked around. And overall, I think the learning process could easily straighten that out for him in time. So you've got guys like Alec Manoa, you've got a couple other good arms that are high-level prospects in this organization, in the upper levels of your minors that could be even, they could be this year, they could be the next couple years, guys like Nate Pearson. So you're in a very, very good position for having long-term success because you have top-of-the-line prospects. Again, Nate Pearson, 
number nine prospect in baseball. As far as I'm concerned, I'm not considering guys to be turn around your franchise guys if they're outside the top 30. So having him in addition to Ryu, in addition to Manoa, in addition to some of these long-term major league veterans that they've brought in that have been solid at best, at least like Steven Matz and Robbie Ray, that's a good recipe for success sooner rather than later. The only knock I could find on them, which is why I would slightly rank them lower than Chicago is, did they know entirely what they were getting into on George Springer? This George Springer could either be the selling point to you or the losing point to you purely because it's been, it could be a real headache to deal with George Springer in that community. Again, I don't really have a great grasp. Graham didn't, Graham Wallace, when we talked to him back in April, didn't seem too concerned about him like being accepted within the fan base after that. However, this is now the middle of June and he's played maybe a series for this team as we talked about yesterday. So at some point, this fan base is going to get frustrated with the amount of money they committed to him. And if you're having to juggle the fan base's issues with one of your star players, your star leader, as well as your star, keeping your star leader on the field, making sure your star player is capable of playing at a high level, there's more, there could be more questions with George Springer than a lot of people are willing to accept right now. I don't think that they're the most, this is, that's the most likely scenario. I mean, Toronto seems to be a very loyal and forgiving fan base from everything I've seen. Maybe that's the Canadian in them, but so I don't think they're going to have that much of an issue. However, in other areas, if this was New York, if this was Boston, that would be something to consider and something to worry about that headache. As for Chicago, you've got a really solid pitching staff. You've got a lineup that is already working very well for you. And that's without probably your two best players down the line. You have two elite young outfielders on your IL and Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. So if those guys come back and continue the progress they've made, this team, just like Toronto, is going to be a surefire contender in the American League without significant work being done by the general manager. Like both of these teams, you're not gonna you're not gonna need to do drastically outlandish things to keep them competitive in the next couple of years. They're going to naturally get better. Even like if if you just kind of let the roster stay pat, they will get better in the next couple of years because the stars that these teams are built around are going to improve with age like a fine wine. As for the worst situations in baseball, you know, there's a lot of places, of course, you're going to think to go with a bad team, which is, is it's the right choice. First off, I wouldn't go to Tampa, mostly because I can't figure out what the heck is going on there from the outside, much less would I like to try to duplicate that from the inside. Baltimore, I'm eliminating because they're a lot closer to Toronto than a lot of teams in the league for why I would want to take this job. Not only are they starting to accrue a great group of prospects 
here in young players that are very close to being major league ready, but they have some serious assets over the past couple of years, which they've been able to pawn off to get more prospects. And that's one of the best ways you can do it. That's a lot of how Miami has built themselves up to be in a situation where they're only a year or two away from looking really good. You've got guys like Adley Rushman, Grayson Rodriguez, DL Hall, who are all top 30 prospects and all on your double A team right now set to come up within the next couple of years. So if you're able to tell me that within four years, you could be really competitive and you have guys like Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, uh, Michael Franco, even perhaps that other teams might be very interested in that you're not necessarily committed to and can move for more prospects. That is a very intriguing place to be. But as for the serious answer to this one, I'm going to go with the Arizona Diamondbacks just because I don't feel maybe it's a lack of familiarity with the overall team and the system, but I don't see a lot here to love. Cattell Marte is great. However, Cattell Marte probably won't be good within the time frame to make this team really good. I mean, if this guy is going to be in his 31-32 season when this team is back to a spot where they could be prominent, keep in mind the Dodgers and Padres will definitively be good for several more years here. So climbing for an odd season or two in the middle of this isn't very likely. So you can tell Marte would probably be the first move I made if I were the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks would be to move on from, from him and get something, get whatever I can. But I don't see a lot here that moves the needle. You know, you've got Corbin Carroll, who's certainly their best prospect right now. But past that, they have four other, three other prospects in addition to him that are inside the top 100, but none inside the top 30. I don't think there's enough building block pieces within this organization currently to make them a candidate for me to want to be looking at them. There would be a lot of work that would need to be put into establishing an organizational identity, establishing a next core and a time frame for future success. I think this would be the most challenging spot purely because there's no story to get fans excited, to get people in the seats. There's nothing to love about the major league team and there's not enough to excite me about what's in the future right now. So maybe this is a bit of a fan perspective I mean, the Pittsburgh Pirates are in a similar boat, but I still feel like they've got more things on the up swing than the Arizona Diamondbacks do. And that's not even considering the fact that they've been the worst team, if not one of the worst teams in the league this year. So that will be all. I will leave you all with that please make sure you follow us drop us a like leave us a review it means a lot to us and the work we do just to get the name out there so tell your friends make sure you follow us 
on Twitter at MLB Daily Pod for more baseball content, including our trivia giveaway contest, which we've, we will be running all season with name a player trivia. It's been a lot of fun to put together. The guys that have been doing it have seemed to have quite a bit of fun being a part of it. We currently, I believe we have about 13 different people who have received points. The top five, I believe is what we've discussed now. Top five people who've received points will receive something from this by the end of the year. So if you just consistently play, you're going to have a really good shot of being at least in competition for those slots. So just get on there, follow us at MLB Daily Pod again, uh, Monday through Friday, or I'm sorry, yeah, Monday night through Saturday, Monday night through Friday night, we will be posting them and closing as soon as we open the next one. So go ahead, have some fun with it. Maybe you'll win something. Have a great day, and I will see you manana. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.